0: We're going to be starting John chapter 4 this morning. Part 1. It's going to be part 1. John chapter 4, verses 1 through 42, part 1. Why is it part 1? Because there's actually two things that are happening within these section of verses. The one thing that's happening, of course, as we know, we're probably all quite familiar with, is the story of the woman at the well. That's one of the things that's happening. Mixed in with that, you also have Jesus Having a discussion with his disciples, um, so and it 's intermixed they 're interwoven together it 's not like you get the women at the well, the woman at the well, and then the disciples, you get the woman at the well and then the disciples, and then back to the woman at the well, and then back to the disciples, and then back to the woman at the well. so it 's kind of interwoven together. so this is going to be part one. Because it starts with the Samaritan woman, goes to the disciples, goes back to the Samaritan woman, goes back to the disciples, and ends with the Samaritan woman. But it's tied together because with the Samaritan woman, Jesus is talking about water, right? living water. And with his disciples, he's talking about food. Right? Two things that you need to survive. But yet Jesus is not talking about physical water or even physical food. When he's discussing with his disciples, Jesus is speaking spiritually to both of them. It's a lesson for both. So again, part one. And chapter four doesn't end there, right? It's just that this first section is going to be part one and part two, because then chapter four, of course, ends with the official whose son is ill when Jesus gets back to uh, the area of Galilee and uh, where he was headed. So that's actually the end of the chapter. So it's probably going to take us like three weeks to get through chapter 4. But we won't get there till later in the month. So you can run ahead on your own if you want to. So, and really this whole chapter, chapter 4, is really Jesus ministering to people from all areas. And when I say all areas, I don't just mean physical locations. Because that's always true. But all areas of walks. Right? All walks, not just walks of life, but their're spiritual walks. so you have so, those who different gross concerning their faith in Jesus, and that's who Jesus is ministering to like you're going to have the woman at the well who's just going to begin a relationship with Jesus. You have the disciples who are in the midst of a relationship with Jesus you're going to meet the official who has faith in Jesus at the end of the chapter, so he, he's, he, it's Jesus ministering to all these people who are in all these different Areas of growth concerning their faith in Christ. Because this is what Jesus wants. Jesus wants you to worship in spirit and truth. Right, the Father, It says right here in this chapter, and we're going to go over it today, that says that the Father is seeking people who will worship him. And that's what we're going to read. That's very important to the section that we're going to read through. This morning, about the fact that God is seeking out those who will worship Him. So let's read John chapter 4, verses 1 through 42. It says Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples. that living water. Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water, Jacob's well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband for you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you said is true. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, There are yet four months, and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor." Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. And we now, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord, that you just speak through... Everything that's just going on this morning, all the confusion and all the the craziness of the day, and Lord, I just pray that your words just speak to us. The message that's here for us, Lord, this picture that we get to see of how you love us so much that you're willing to step into our lives unannounced and change our life. I thank you for this, Lord, and I thank you in Jesus' name, amen. So it tells us at the beginning of the chapter that uh, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John the Baptist. Jesus understood that this was a problem, even though Jesus himself, it tells us, was not baptizing anybody, but his disciples were. So he decides instead of creating a scene or being, you know, cont- being a, an area of controversy, instead of what he's going to do, he's going to leave Judea and he's going to depart again for Galilee. So there's three ways Jesus could have gone to Galilee from where he was. Right, there's three possible routes he could have taken, and one is he could have gone along the coast, he could have taken a scenic route, right, or he could have crossed the Jordan River and gone up through Perea, which is just the eastern side of the Jordan River Valley, or he could have gone. He can go straight through Samaria, right? S- straight through Samaria is the shortest and the most direct route to get to that area of Galilee that he wanted to go to. You know, the the phrase, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. Well, that was the straight line, right? So going through Samaria was the straight line for Jesus to go. However, there was a little bit of an issue. That's not the way that most Jews traveled because most Jews went around Samaria, They didn't want to go through Samaria, specifically the the pious and the orthodox and the really religious elite Jews. They they were not stepping into Samaria for anything because there's bad blood. There's bad blood between the Samaritans and the Jews, right? Just because it's the shortest distance or the quickest route doesn't mean it was the best choice to make to go. It was the least desirable route for Jews, right? It wasn't a kosher route, right? Most Jews would take one of the other two routes so they wouldn't have to go through Samaria because of the bad blood between the Jews and the Samaritans. There was a lot of distrust, there was a lot of dislike, there was a lot of deep stand, a lot of long-standing, deep-seated hatred between the two people groups. So who are the Samaritans again? Right? Well, if you remember your history, go back into second Kings or Ezra, um, the Jews were taken into captivity by the Assyrians. And when the Jews were taken into captivity, the 10 tribes were taken into captivity by the Assyrians. Um, the king of Assyria sent people from all these different places like Cutha and Ava and Hamath. He sent them into this area of Samaria. And they then, of course, intermarried with the uh, Israelite population, the remnant that was still there in the area. So they intermarried with them, and voila, right? You have Samaritans now. So, so the, the Assyrian culture comes in, intermarries with the Israelites that are still left that weren't taken into captivity, and from that you get Samaritans. And, of course, the Assyrians brought in pagan idols, false gods, all of this. And and if you, if you, you know, the Bible tells us that they, they were having problems when they settled into the area. There was problems with what lions or was that because they weren't honoring God. That's what, you know, hey, you're not honoring God. This is what this is what they thought. They weren't honoring God, the God to the Jewish God. We weren't we're not honoring the Jewish God. So they were instructed. They had someone come in and instruct them in the ways of the Jewish religion. They had someone come in and read them the books of Moses. And so then they took the Jewish religion and they mixed it with their pagan religion. And you get this mixed religion of sorts, which is what the Samaritans then were worshiping. So because of all this, because of this remnant, These remnant Israelites intermarried with the Assyrian foreigners and adopted their idolatrous ways and mixed it with Jewish religion. The Samaritans were then, at least religiously speaking, were looked at or considered as half-breeds with this eclectic mongrel faith that the Jews didn't agree with, right? Samaritans were despised, just putting it mildly, you know, by the Jews. It was said that Jews hated Samaritans more than Gentiles, it said when it came to the matter of resurrection that they would pray that, uh, that the Samaritans would not be resurrected if that were ever to happen. I mean, there was this deep-seated uh, hatred between the two. If you want it, as you're going to see it when we get to John chapter 8, you know, whenever we get there, one of the ways that the religious leaders or whatever would insult Jesus was call him a Samaritan. Isn't this that Samaritan demon-possessed man, Right? So they didn't get along with Samaritans. So they avoided the shortest route. If they wanted to go to the Galilee area, they would go around. They would find, you know, they would go around Samaria. They'd take the scenic route along the coast, Highway 101, right? The Pacific Coast Highway. Let's travel the Pacific Coast Highway, right? No truck stops or strip malls to be seen, just water and sandy beaches, right? Right? Little roadside diners. Perfect, perfect route to take the Harley. Let's go take the Harley or on the scenic coast. Of course, Jesus isn't on a Harley. So, but Jesus also doesn't go the long way around. And we know this, and, it's, and that's not like metaphorically speaking, but, but Jesus always gets to the point. He just is direct. So when, it tra- when he wants to travel, he's just going to cut through. He's not going to avoid Samaritans. Because he needs to meet and teach and talk to and seek out Samaritans. So he goes right through Samaria. Because he had a divine appointment to keep. It said in the, in the Bible, it said, in my translation, it said he had to pass through Samaria. If you read, I think it's the King James, it says he needed to go through Samaria. It wasn't that he necessarily wanted to go through Samaria, but he knew that he needed, he had to pass through Samaria. It was important. It was God's will. It was the Father's will, and he's doing the will of the Father. I need to go through Samaria. So he just goes straight into and through Samaria. Well, he didn't go straight through Samaria because he stopped at a well because he was tired. Yes, Jesus was tired. He was worn out from traveling, right? It tells us that uh, he was wearied from his journey. It wasn't like an overnight trip. This took days. I think it was like four to six days or something like that to travel from where he was. And of course, the disciples are with him, but we don't know that yet at this point because they went into town to get food. But Jesus stops at the well. He stops at a famous well, a historical site. It probably had a little plaque on it. Jacob's well. At the time of history, this was, it was common knowledge who this well belonged to. It was Jacob's, right? It was possibly a well that Jacob dug back in Genesis 33 when he lived in Shechem. right? The Samaritan woman brings it up when she's talking to Jesus, right? This is Jacob's well. Jacob's, everyone in Jacob's family drank from this well. He fed his livestock from this well. Are you greater than Jacob? Jesus doesn't debate her about the authenticity of the well because he's not there about the well. He didn't come to see the well. He didn't come to take a snapshot of Jacob's well so he could say he'd been there, right? Part of the trip, hey, everyone get a picture of Jacob's well, right? That being said, today the city that she was from, Sukkar, doesn't exist. Some think that Sukkar was possibly actually Shechem, and... They think that the Jews applied the name Sukar to Shechem because Sukar means drunken. And so the Druze can basically, out of contempt, gave Shechem a new name, and they called it drunken. I don't know if Sukar or Shechem was the same city or not. That's just one of the the possible views of, about what where this city was or which city this was. But for the most part, this city today... Doesn't exist as it did in, in, in that time. And the location of the well, of course, is in question. However, traditionally, it's taught that the well exists today inside, all these historical things are always inside a building now, right? inside the Church of St. Fotina, also known as the Church of Jacob's Well, in the West Bank. Um, Saint Fotina is the name that's traditionally given to the woman at the well by the Orthodox Church. And it's the orth- Greek Orthodox Church that owns the property, that runs the church where the well is located inside of now. Saint Fotina um, in Russian is Zvetlana. And that's who it's a reference to. It's a reference to the woman at the well. And that well, if, if indeed that is the well... Uh, of that time. Here, I brought you a picture. If I can find it. Okay. So this picture here is from the 70s. And if you see those two buildings there that the people are standing in front of, this was the church at the time that looked like outhouses or whatever they're supposed to be there. Those are actually the entrances to go underground to where the well is. Okay? So that's the church in the 70s. Today, it doesn't look anything like that. Today, it looks like this, right? The Greek Orthodox Church has spent some money and cleaned it up. And look at all the stained glass and the ornaments and everything. There's the steps leading down there. That's where those two little outhouse things were in the older picture, right? What a difference of 60 years or however long that is. It's been 50 years or whatever. And there's the well. Okay. It's in the middle right there. It's hard to tell because there's a lot of ornate stuff around it anymore. You would think it would just be a well out on some ground somewhere and they'd put a little plaque on it and say, Hey, Jacob's well has been around for like 3000 years or whatever. No, it's now surrounded by all this stuff in a church. And it's still, there's still a little, you can still lower the bucket down and get water. That's It's still a working well, as far as that is concerned. Uh, But that's it. That's Jacob's well. That's possibly, minus the entire church, that's possibly where Jesus met the Samaritan woman. right? But, of course, this isn't about the well either, because, like I said, it was about the Samaritan woman. That's why Jesus came into Samaria. Now, a really quick... Bit about the woman coming to the well. I told you that the town she came from was called Sukar, and that Sukar means drunken, right? Which is either a name referencing the constant inebriation of the townsfolk, right? Which, can I explain the sinful lifestyle that the lady was caught up with in being, right, having had five husbands and now in a relationship with a gentleman who was not her husband? etc or the name references the fact that there is a lot of wells and water in the city i bring that up just because to understand this that she did not have to go to this well to get water this well at at that time that she went to jacob's well i'm going to go back to my other graphic Um, was about a mile out of town, okay? And I want you to, you know, think about that for a second. There's a couple of things that point out that right away let you know that there's something going on with this lady, right? One is she went to the well by herself. Two is she went to the well at noon, Three is she She went to a well that was a mile out of town. Yeah walking, yeah, walking to the well, of course, right? So a town that had enough water in it where she could have gone to a well much closer to her house. right. Women usually went in groups to the well. Women usually went early in the morning or late at night when it was cooler to go to the well. They did not go in the middle of the afternoon, right? Jesus took the least desirable route straight through Samaria so he could meet this woman at Jacob's well who herself had not taken the most direct route but instead walked a mile out of her way to avoid any confrontation or any humiliation or any contact with any person in town, right? Because she did not want to be seen. She was probably an outcast. She really didn't want to talk to anyone. She probably had been shunned because of the relationships that she was in, right? All this fornication that she was involved in. She came alone when most women traveled in groups. She came at noon when most people went earlier in the morning. And they meet at the well she was trying to hide and you can't hide and she was a little surprised she was a little surprised that there was someone at the well she was a little surprised that it was a Jew she was a little surprised that the Jew asked her for water right our kids in school right now are having to learn how to start conversations right it's one of their assignments they hate it entirely they don't want to have to learn how to talk to people Right, here's an example right here, kids, that you can get for John chapter 4, how to start conversations. Look what Jesus says, give me a drink. There you go. You can put that on your list of conversation starters. Right? Give me a drink. Right. You might phrase it a little differently. You might say, may I please have a drink of water? But it's a conversation starter. Which surprised her as well. This surprised the woman also. Why... All this surprise. I mean, even the disciples come back, see Jesus, Jesus talking to the woman at the well. They're surprised. They're like, he's talking to a Samaritan woman, but they don't say anything, thankfully. Right. They didn't go pull him away. What are you doing? (laughs) You know, how dare you talk to a Samaritan woman? Well, see, traditionally a rabbi would not speak to a woman in public. Matter of fact, he wouldn't speak to his wife in public. It was very unusual for a Jewish person at the time to ask a favor or to accept a drink, specifically from a Samaritan, right? So this is why Jesus' request surprised a woman. One, he talked to her. Two, he asked her for something, right? This is why she says, why is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me A woman from Samaria. Another way to phrase that question would be Are you sure you want to drink from my polluted vessel, from my unclean cup? I'm a Samaritan woman. Right? And the answer, of course, is yes. That's what Jesus would answer, but that's not how he answers it. Right? But just for you know, the answer is yes because why? Because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He came to you and asked you, for something, And he wanted it from your polluted cup, from your unclean cup, from your polluted vessel. Jesus sort of ignores her question and gets right to the point as he does. Remember, he's not about going around the issues. He just heads straight in. And Jesus answered her in verse 10. He says, if you knew, if you knew, if you knew. One time Jesus asked you that. He said, If you knew the gift of God, you wouldn't be asking me these questions. You wouldn't be coming up with these excuses. If you knew. He tells the lady, If you knew the gift of God. It's like he's speaking in third person, right? (laughs) But he's speaking about himself. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She doesn't understand what he's talking about. Right? She does not understand exactly what he's talking about. Jesus only uses the phrase living water twice. This is the first time in John chapter 4. He'll use it again in John chapter 7. We'll discuss it again in John chapter 7 when we get there. She loves the idea, right? But she's still thinking physically. shes I mean, she asks Jesus. She says, what? Living the water. this You don't even have anything to draw water out of this well with, she says. This is a deep well. It was like 80 to 100 feet. Right? This is a deep well. You don't have anything to get water out of this. Where are you gonna get living water? Don't talk to me about living water. You guys, you're all the same. You Jews, right? She missed the connection, of course. Because Jesus is offering her spiritual water. He's offering her something that can only be received through Jesus. He's saying, You are thirsty but you're not thirsty for what you think you are. You have a spiritual longing and it needs to be quenched and can only be quenched through me. Only quenched through something that you can get from me, which is living water, which only comes from the Spirit of God. You need to quench that spiritual thirst. It's not a physical one, right? Because if you continue to try try to quench your spiritual thirst with physical thirst, experiences or physical means you're going to continue to be thirsty. Matter of fact, right? He says to her in verse 13, probably pointing to the well. Well, he says it. he says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. He's like, listen, right? Jacob's well, you could pull from it all day and drink of this water and you'll still be thirsty. You could drink a gallon of it, walk back home, still be thirsty. This well is not going to ever satisfy you, right? Because you're trying to satisfy something spiritual, with physical means, and it's just not going to work. It never works. Many people have tried. Many people are still trying. It's still going on today, right? They keep trying and it never works. I can't get no satisfaction. Right, He just can't come when you do that. There's an author. He's actually a Christian um, uh, life coach, if you want to use the word. Anyway, his name is Craig Lonesborough. And he says, I incessantly look for water in wells dug by men, and I have drunk enough sand to prove it. And then he goes on to say, the landscape of the world is littered with holes dug by men in search for water for their souls, but it is the hole where the shovels were surrendered to God that mark the end of the holes in the beginning of water. We keep trying to fill these holes and these these thirsts that we have with physical means, and it just doesn't work. And he knew this because he knew the woman. He knew that she was on her sixth relationship, right? She had had five husbands. She's on the sixth one now. It's not even her husband. She's living in this relationship with the guy she's not married to. She's trying to fill these voids, that she's, that she's longing for something and she cannot find anything that satisfies her. She cannot quench her thirst. But when Jesus talks to her, when he tells her this, right? Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. When Jesus explains all this to her, it shows three things. And it shows that she was, of course, ignorant of these three things. And many people today are ignorant of these same three things. And at one time, you were ignorant of these things as well. And that's real simple. You're ignorant of the the truth of who Jesus was. She did not understand who Jesus was. Right? Ignorant of the truth of what Jesus offered. She thought he was just talking about water. Real water. He is talking about real water. True water. Living water. But she thought he was talking about physical water, like from the well. And she was ignorant of the truth of how she could receive it. How are we going to get this living water, she tells him. You didn't even bring anything to get it with. You tell me there's living water down at the end of this well? She was ignorant of those three important truths. She was really more concerned about how he's going to get the water. right? Instead of asking Jesus for a drink oh, you're talking about this living water. You're saying, if I knew who you were, I would ask you for a drink. You'd give me living water. Okay, give me a drink. She doesn't say that. She says, how are you going to get the living water, you stupid man? <laughs> Where is this living water at, right? She's more concerned about how he's going to get it. She even asks him, are you greater than our father Jacob? Are you telling me that, that somehow your water right, is greater than this well? Because this is Jacob's well. Are you saying it's greater than this? And of course the answer is again is yes. I am. He, that's what he could have said. Yes, I am. Right? Go read Hebrews. He, well, that probably wasn't written yet, but he could have said that, right? You know? I mean, the mathematical equation is Jesus, Jesus greater than X. Mm-hmm. And X can be whatever you want to put in there. Right? Jacob, Abraham, Moses, the angels. Right? John, Paul, George, and Ringo, doesn't matter. Whatever you throw in there, Jesus is greater than it. So the answer is yes. But again, he doesn't answer that directly. He just tells her, listen, if you keep drinking from this water, you're still going to be thirsty. Right? That water in Jacob's well is old and stagnant. It's not bubbling with life. That's the water he says I'm going to give you. Right? Right? The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. It'll be bubbling over. It'll be, it'll be crisp and fresh and bubbly, right? I went, I went camping once with a friend of mine, and we hiked up in the snow and up this road. We couldn't get the car up, right? And we're just out there playing around. And there was this river coming through. We found a bridge and there's a river underneath it and it's snow. And that river was ice cold. And it was the best water I'd ever dunk my face in and drank straight. I don't drink water from a river, but you know, (laughs) usually I don't put my face in a river and drink water, but I put my face in that river and drank water from it It was clear and crisp. And I mean, it was the the freshest water I had ever drank in my entire life. It wasn't stagnant and old and at the bottom of a well. Been sitting there for thousands of years. Right? It wasn't that. That's what he's telling her. He's like, listen, I'm going to give you living water. What does that mean? That means the water in Jacob's well is dead. It's dead. It's just water. And if you continue to drink from that water, you're going to continue to be thirsty you need fresh and living water. Listen, right? This isn't a sales pitch, right? Jesus isn't trying to sell vacuums or knives here. But he is trying to deal with like life insurance, I suppose. It's her eternal future that he's worried about. Right? He's just flat out stating the truth. Whoever drinks of the water I give him will never be thirsty again. Right? Put that in your cap. Remember what he says. Whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. Remember that because it comes into play here in just a second with the lady. Right now, I also want you to notice this and we're not going to get into it much today but we will later when we get to John 7. But Jesus, he, he doesn't say that he is the living water. He just says that he has the living water and he gives the living water. It's available through him, and it's only available through him. It's the only way you can get it, is through Jesus, right? True living water comes from and through Jesus. John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39, preview. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to, were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So where does the living water come from? The Holy Spirit. Now when he tells her this, when he says, the water that I will give you will become a spring of water welling up in eternal life, she of course says at that time, okay, I want that water. That sounds great. But she's still thinking about physical water. She says, I want that water so I don't ever have to come to this well again. This is a long trip. It's a mile out of town. I'm tired of lugging my jar here to get water. I don't want to come in the middle of the day. If I didn't have to come here, that would be great. So give me that water. I want that water, right? I mean, she's gone from being a little unsure and surprised that Jesus was even there to now wanting the living water, but her, I mean, her heart is coming to an understanding. It's a good first step. She, she wants the water, but in reality, she still doesn't know what she's saying. She just still doesn't understand what the living water is. I mean, the seed at this point, if you want to use the analogy, had fallen on shallow soil. It had no root yet, but it had been planted. She was waking up. There was an awakening happening in her soul. Huh? And Jesus is so patient with her. She says, okay, give me that water so I don't have to come back here anymore. This will be great. And Jesus says, okay, well, go get your husband and come here. That seems like a strange response to the water. We went from water to husbands, right? I want that water. Okay, go get your family and bring them out here, right? Go get your husband, he says. Probably not what she was expecting him to say. Immediately... She's been talking up quite a storm with Jesus up to this point. But when he says, go get your husband, she only has one response, which is, I have no husband. She can't say anything else. She doesn't have anything else to say, right? And he says, I know. I know. As a matter of fact, you've had five, and the guy you're with now is not your husband. What's Jesus doing? This is what's referred to as divine surgery right? We need to be confronted with our sins so that we can turn away from them. We think that we can hide them like she's trying to do. But truth is, God always knows. We need to face the reality of who we have been and who we are because there can be no conversion without conviction. And Jesus says, if you truly want the living water, well, first let's deal with this matter because first there needs to be repentance. Repentance. Right? You can't come to Christ without first conviction and then repentance. You want to be born again. You want to be saved by grace through faith. You need to be, repent and be saved. Right? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised from him the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So he's asking her, repent and be saved. So he says, go get your husband. And she confesses. I have no husband. And Jesus says, that's right. Jack Hibbs says that this is Jesus wounding her soul to awaken her heart. Now that she is under conviction, of course, just as most of us do, as soon as we're convicted and being caught in our sin, she changes the subject. Right? She says, clearly you must be a prophet. Who else is going to know these things about me? These personal things. Right? And then she changes the subject from water to worship, and she probably thought she was hoping to avoid something. <laughs> right? Maybe if I start talking about worship and the controversy between the Jews and the Samaritans, we won't have to bring up this water thing anymore. He's not going to talk anymore about the relationship I'm in. I'm not going to feel convicted about this, or anything. maybe maybe we can I can get around this. Except it doesn't phase Jesus, right? I mean if you were if Jesus was a batter and you were the pitcher and you thought you were gonna you know throw him a fastball, a couple of curveballs and a slider and maybe a knuckleball and somehow confuse him, you would be wrong. He would be ready for every pitch. Right? Didn't phase Jesus. Nothing does. He says, Well, you want to talk worship? That's fine. That's great, as a matter of fact. Let's talk worship, right? Let's do it, he says. She says, I perceive that you're a prophet. Right? right? No. Yes. (laughs) Our father's worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. She's like, okay, let's change the subject now that I'm, okay, let's not talk about my relationships. Let's talk about something else, Jesus. And Jesus says, all right, you want to talk about worship? Here we go. He says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. You worship what you do not know. Tells her she's wrong. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. What's he referring to? Himself. Right? But the hour is coming and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship must worship in spirit and truth. Jesus says, listen, I'm not interested in what mountain you worship on. I am interested, however, on who you worship. Right? Because there's going to be a day when we're not going to worship on either mountain. None of these mountains. It doesn't matter. Right? You worship, he tells her, what you don't know. Right? The Jews, they worship what they know because salvation is from the Jews. Because I'm a Jew and salvation comes from me. Right? Because he's talking about himself. She doesn't understand that yet. And Jesus says the hour is coming. As a matter of fact, he tells her it's now here. Now is the time, as he's telling her, for you to make the decision. When true worshipers will worship the Father and Spirit and truth, right? Then he says the Father is seeking such people. I wonder if she's starting to put things together yet. Because what is he telling her? Right? She could have asked how is he seeking them? And he, and he would have replied through me, right? I've come to seek and save the lost. Jesus is telling her, listen, I came through Samaria doing my father's will, right? The will of him who sent me to seek you out. I came here for you. I came here to give you the living water that you need, the living water that you will not find here in this well. I came here to give you a fresh, bubbling, living water that is unlike anything that you've ever tasted, and all you have to do is ask. You want to talk about worship? Let's talk about worship. You're wrong, because it's not about where you worship, it's about who you worship. And she replies, well yeah the Messiah is coming and when the Messiah comes he's going to explain all this to us and of course Jesus says now we're finally getting somewhere Mm -hmm. right I who speak to you he says am he that changed everything for her he just right claimed he was the Messiah she says well when the Messiah comes he's going to change everything I'm the Messiah been seeking you out I came here for you I'm the Messiah. And notice what she does next. It's in verse 28. It says, so the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. She left her water vase. She left her jug. She left her container. Whatever it is she carried water in. I'm sure she was still physically thirsty, but guess what? She knew she didn't need it now. She didn't need it. Jesus said, you will never thirst again. And she was just like, leave my water jug behind. I'm going into town to tell everyone I just met the Messiah. I don't need the water anymore. I don't need it. I'm not thirsty. She was now becoming spiritually satisfied, right? She had living water. She just met Jesus. She had this living water inside of her now and she needed to let people know. She didn't immediately come to Jesus at first. She was unsure of the whole thing. She wasn't quite sure about what was going on, but yet Jesus was patient. And bit by bit, what Jesus did is he took down this racial and social wall that was between Jews and Samaritans. He dismantled it brick by brick while he was talking to her to the point that she could see that this wasn't some ordinary Jew that she was speaking to. This was at least a prophet, she said. And then, oh, it's the Messiah. He took all that down, he took down that wall of hostility. He didn't get frustrated with her. He didn't say, you know what? You're not listening to a thing I say, right? You're ignorant of the truth. You don't know who I am. Guess what? I'm not going to give you any water, right? Because this is how we behave with people. I'm done talking to you. Slam the door shut. Leave. Hang up the phone, right? Jesus didn't do any of that. He just sit there and patiently answered the questions, redirected everything back. To the truth of what needed to be said. Right. She needed Jesus. She didn't know it. But Jesus sought her out. I think that's when the seed was planted that started growing. Because it says that she went into the town, right? And she and she was talking to the people. She's like, I, th- I think this is the Messiah. Right, And it said that they came out, the townspeople came out, and they said, S- stay here. Right? Jesus stayed there two days in the town. Right? And during that time, those two days, it says many of the townspeople came to believe in Jesus, of which she was one. So it started with that interaction at the well. It started with Jesus slowly revealing himself to the woman. Like this is a case of of like, you know, um, evangelism 101, right? And and he just slowly revealed himself to her until he finally, at the end, we finally get to the whole point. She's like, well, the Messiah is going to come and tell this to us. And he's like, well, I'm here. I'm right here in front of you. I came to seek you out. I just told you the father is seeking out people who worship him. I came to seek you need to worship in spirit and truth. And she just left her water jar behind, ran into the town, got everybody, brought him out. Like I said, she she needed Jesus. She didn't know she needed Jesus. She wasn't expecting to meet Jesus at the well. She wasn't expecting to meet the son of God there. She wasn't expecting any of that. Jesus sought her out, made himself known in her life. She was like the least likely prospect. And he saved her. And then he used her to save many in the town, right? It says that many Samaritans were drawn to Christ because of the testimony of that woman. And their relationships deepened when they came to know Christ and believed in him because they spent time with him. And that's what it tells us at the end of our section, right? It says, so the Samaritans came to him. They asked him to stay with them. He stayed there two more days and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman... It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. We have heard for ourselves. We have heard for ourselves. We're talking about water and food. Today we've talked about water. Next Sunday we'll talk about food. Two things that we need, not just physically, but spiritually. We need water more than we need food. I mean, physically speaking, we need water more than we need food. I don't know how much water you're supposed to drink a day, but it's way more than most of us drink. Right? I think it's, you know, it's It's ridiculous amount of water. That's why I can never drink it. Because as you, if you were to put it all out in cups on the counter and tell me, you need to drink this much water today, I'd be like, there's no way I can drink that much water in a day. Now you get water from everything besides just drinking a glass of water. So that all of that is that is, you know, in the equation. But you need water more than you need food. And for those who don't know Christ, the first thing that needs to be offered to them, the very first thing is, need, is the living water. It's what they need first is the living water. And then after the living water comes the food, right? Those who know Christ, it's the food. You've received the living water now it's the food. It's the nutrition that's offered by staying in the word and doing the will of the one who sent us. It's God's word. It's the food. And you start out like an infant and you grow. Spiritually speaking, right? We need both food and water. Here's a warning and we'll talk more about this. Next week. Because we don't need food as often as we need water, this is why we don't stay in the Word like we should. Because we'll go without eating sometimes. Oh, it's all right. I only have to have that meal. Oh, I can skip lunch today. Right? I'll just have a little bit. That'll sustain me to the end of the day because I got other things I got to do. I just need a snack but you always have your water bottle with you. Well, I don't, but maybe you always have your water bottle with you. You carry it. You're always drinking your water, but you're not necessarily always eating the food. And that's a little warning because because we don't need food as often as we need water. That's why we don't stay in the word like we should, if you want to use that. But spiritually speaking, we need both food and water. Jesus gave living water. That living water changed the life of the woman. And because of the change that she had, it changed the life of other people in that town. Jesus stayed there two days, and they got to know Jesus personally. And it wasn't just someone's testimony anymore. It was they had now had a personal relationship with Jesus. But the testimony is what started it. Isaiah 49.10 says this, They shall not hunger or thirst, neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them, for he who has pity on them will lead them, and by springs of water will guide them. That's your relationship with God. He has sought you out when you least expected it. He came into your life at a point there were a time that maybe you weren't even thinking, you weren't even thinking about it at all, and he just showed up. And he said, you need something you don't have. And I'm here to give it to you. It changed your life and your testimony. Then we'll point people to Jesus and they'll meet him personally and it'll change their life. Amen.